guys, this is Debbie, and welcome back to my podcast, Candle in a Dark Room. So today I have a very close friend of mine named Keelan here with me. She is like a little sister to me. We grew up together, and her brother is my same age, and our moms actually have known each other basically our entire lives. The reason I wanted Keelan on here today is because she had some unfortunate events happen in October 2018. She went on a trip with some friends and went to Portugal and was assaulted and some other things happened. And that's why I wanted her here today to kind of explain that whole story and kind of what happened after and, you know, where she is now. So Keelan, welcome to my podcast. Hi. <laughs> I'm so happy to finally be a part of it. <laughs> yes, we've been trying to do this for a while and just things have not gone into place, but we're finally here. So um, kind of start by just telling us a little bit about yourself and how you kind of got to Portugal in the first place. Yeah, so uh, I had been doing like a lot of traveling when I got into college. Um, I moved out my freshman year and that's when I started going to Europe and this trip specifically, um, we went to France and to Portugal and I had always like been very, I think like I don't want to say careless, but I wasn't really worried while I was like traveling around just because I was always with people. But it was just something that I felt like I knew pretty well, you know? Okay. Yeah. It never scared you. Yeah. I mean, I had, I like lived on my own, like I in Salt Lake and I think I became like really independent when I moved out. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I didn't like have a lot of concerns about it. I was just kind of like mostly into like partying and having fun. And what was a little bit of your background? Did you grow up, like who did you grow up with and how? I just, I so I grew up in Harriman. I was always just like a really quiet, shy person. Uh, I never like got in, into any trouble. When I, when I started like, when I got out of high school and got into college, I, I felt like I really started to understand myself a little bit better and like put myself out there more. Mm-hmm. And and that's why, like, I wanted to start traveling. I had never had those opportunities growing up. My parents had divorced when I was 12. Mm-hmm. And um, just a lot of those of those things, like, weren't really, like, my parents never traveled. And, um, yeah, I just, I was really focused at that time just on school and uh, my friends at the time in high school, which only a few of them, like, we had stuck together going into college. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like I... Like life for me was like just really simple. I I had like my hobbies that I did, and I I didn't actually really date either in high school. That was that wasn't my thing. I didn't date. I wasn't like out having sex and making out with guys or anything. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of doing my own thing and like really focused on my friends and my family. And I was really passionate about like business and marketing, and that's what I mm-hmm. was going to college for. And so in October when everything before you what left to France, were you graduated at the time or had you already started college? Yeah. So that was actually my third year, I believe. Yeah. So I was uh, a junior and during that time I had actually made like a transition from business to gender studies and ethnic studies. A junior in college, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So the junior in college, sorry. And um, yeah, up at the U and I was just transitioning from a business degree to a gender studies and ethnic studies degree. 
So I was like really into school at that time because I was learning about everything that I was kind of neglected about learning in high school, like mm-hmm. feminist theory, gender queer theory, like so like my whole world just kind of opened up to that and it became my new passion. And I learned a lot about just a lot about like intersection intersectionality and so in October. I was taking a community organizing class mm-hmm. and we had the class was pretty small and we had decided that we wanted to talk to as much people as we could at the U. We wanted to talk to all those people about consent and mm-hmm. this is what I was working on at the time was trying to create a new policy for consent at the U and mm-hmm. how they approach it at um, freshman orientation. Wow. So that's kind of ironic considering what ended up happening. Yeah. Kind of go into what happened in October of 2018. So uh, we had booked, it was me and two other people. We had booked a trip to go to Paris and to go to um, Porto, Portugal. And I think we were only there for like a week. It wasn't, it was, it felt a little bit shorter than that actually. But so yeah, we, we had gone on trips to Europe before me and these two other people and we had never like had any issues going abroad um together it was always just really fun and yeah we were just like really excited to go out and and experience that together we were like inseparable and we had a great time in Paris and we went to Portugal and it and it was our last night there and that's when like we decided to go out and like to the bars and all of that. So we had started off the night um, at our Airbnb and this was our second night there. So we started off at the Airbnb and we were like drinking a little bit. And I remember not like, I remember drinking at the Airbnb and, and like thinking to myself like, oh, like I'm not that drunk. And like, we'll just see what happens tonight. Like uh, I was like super jet lagged and tired and I had never like had been so drunk that like I, I couldn't like stand on my own, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I knew never that blackout I, drunk. Yeah, I knew that I was good to go out and um, like go to the bars and stuff. And so we, but I was also like not super so we um had taken an uber to this uh, part of part of town where there was like bars and we had read that the nightlife was really great and so we get there and it's like completely quiet like no one's out and we're talking to like one of the bartenders and she's like yeah like people don't come out until like one in the morning like that's when that's when it starts and at that time I think it was nine (laughs) o'clock so we just sat at we went into a few bars and I was feeling fine you know so we went into this bar and I had gone up to the to the bartender to order a drink and usually when you order drinks they make it right there in front of you and you pay and you take it back to your um, right wherever you're sitting so I had gone up and ordered and all of my friends already had drinks so I went up to order by myself and he said to me, go sit down and I'll bring it to you. And I was, I was like kind of confused. Mm-hmm. So, and I had just barely turned 21 in like that last July. So I was just kind of like, okay, <laughs> um, super naive. And 
so I went and sat down and we had met some people like some other foreigners and we were just talking about whatever like I, I honestly don't even remember the conversation and um I got my drink and I remember it taking kind of a long time like I had actually forgotten that I had ordered a drink oh. and I looked over and there was two bartenders now instead of one and they were watching me the whole time we were talking and I was like well maybe they just like are like interested in me or like you know like because it was very obvious that they were looking at me but I didn't think anything of it until way way later right. so I had my drink and then they had brought over um another one to me and I hadn't like even asked for it I did have some of the second drink but not a lot and I remember my friends got up to leave while I was in this conversation with this woman I had just met and we were talking about like where she's from and I remember during that conversation starting to like feel like oh like I'm not gonna drink this drink because I'm starting to feel kind of weird right then it was just like instant I I walked outside and I was like I I, I can remember like looking at this table that my friend at the time was sitting at with a with a, a bunch of men and they were just like talking and having a good time and I remember looking down at this table and the table was just moving like back and forth and I was just assuming I think that I was just drunk and like I remember getting up to to leave and it's just there's nothing there's there's some like flashes of memory but after that moment I cannot remember anything clear like in the, in the things that I do remember I'm like did was that did that actually happen or like mm. so I and in between those that time so from when we got up to leave um I think we were going to like a different bar I'm assuming I so there's three of us and one of the people that one of my friends that I was with had left and I don't know where they went. I still don't know to this day, like where they went off to. And so me and this other friend just kept doing our thing, I guess. And I remember being inside like a, like a, like, or on a dance floor. And I remember falling a lot. Like I couldn't walk. I also remember being outside by myself and I was like sitting down on the sidewalk, like on the concrete. And then I remember being in a car with a guy and I remember being like looking over at him and seeing him on his phone like looking down at it like this and then I remember like looking down and seeing this guy's hands um I was wearing a dress and I remember seeing his hand like his left hand up my dress there was like different languages being spoken and mm. so I wasn't exactly sure what the driver was communicating to the guy that I was with we were in the back seat of a of a car. You guys were okay. And, yeah, and then I think this is where I had started to like come out of this blackout, mm -hmm. which I now know was or could have possibly been like for me being drugged. Mm -hmm. um, so I remember being taken into like an elevator, and then I remember being taken into a room by this guy and we walk into this room and it, I can't, it, it, I can only remember seeing like several beds in a room and really in like dark stained wood. So mm. I remember walking into the room and there were like 
closets that were uh, built into the walls. So like li like little wardrobes that you could hang your stuff in. It could have been a hostel, but I'm not sure. And um, I remember there were men inside of the closets. And because one of the guys had like opened the door. And I remember seeing like a maybe like a dozen men in the room. And then I remember the lights turning off. And I remember um, like feeling like someone on top of me. And then all of a sudden I like came to like out of nowhere. I was like awake and I was staring at two men uh, looking at me and they were telling me to shut up. And I had looked down at, at my right wrist and I had gone out wearing uh, like two beaded bracelets. And I remember very faintly seeing one of them like break off my wrist and there was like furniture next to me and like a lamp was knocking knocked over and they were yelling at me but I had my phone I had all my things with me still and one of them sat down because I was sitting on the bed on my knees and I remember being like what like what's going on why are all of these men in the room like I was just confused like I I knew that something like wasn't right mm -hmm. so I I had my phone in my hand one and one of the guys like came up like really close to my face and I'm I said to him do you guys watch each other like have sex with women and he said yeah that's what we do and that has just stuck in my head mm -hmm. and so I I got up and they wouldn't let me like leave holding you down though well that this the, point so I have like very uh, vague memories of like someone's hand over my mouth and I can remember like, I can remember them telling me like to shut the F up and mm -hmm. so I get out of the room and there's just guys everywhere. There's two rooms and so I'm like in what they call like a foyer mm -hmm. and I'm seeing two doors that lead into two different rooms and all of the guys are surrounding me trying to like, I think maybe control the situation or trying to like make me be quiet. I don't really understand. Like, I don't really remember like why it was so chaotic. Mm -hmm. And I looked at one of the guys and I was like, he just told me that you guys watch each other have sex with women. And he was like, I know. And it's really effed up. And I, I remember oh, that. Okay. Yeah. And I hear someone say, like, the cops are on their way, and at that moment, I, like, took my chance, and I ran out of the door, and I remember, like, not being able to walk very well, because I had fell and slipped, like, down the stairs, and a bunch of guys came running down after me, mm. and I got outside, and there was a man, an older man out there, and I was crying to him. And I was like, I need you to help me. I don't know where I am. I don't know who these men are. And he just kept saying to me, I don't speak English. I don't speak English. I don't speak English. And now actually, now I'm remembering something actually. The guy that had taken me to to the whatever, wherever I was, the hostel maybe, or like an mm -hmm. apartment. <laughs> I remember sitting with him like outside of a bar and I kept dropping all my things and like falling out of my chair. Like that just, mm. came, just came into my head. So I'm outside and I, it's raining. It's like pouring rain. And I'm in 
my dress and I have my things with me and I'm, and I'm crying and they're all waiting, like in kind of like inside the building and I'm, and I'm outside of it. And so they didn't come outside to get you. They just like watched you. Yeah. And I see the police car come up and I run to the police car and I just start crying and I was pretty hysterical and they took me and put me in the police car and I watched them stand and talk to like these group of guys that were outside. I have my phone and this was actually the first time that I had paid for like a cell plan so that I had service like anywhere that I was in Europe um, mm-hmm. just in, like an emergency. That was the first time I had ever done that. I'm in the car and I'm like pretty, I'm like pretty aware what's going on because I'm crying hysterically and I don't know where my friends are. And so I'm looking through my phone and I, the cops that are with me in the car don't speak any English. And so I got on to Google Translate and I went from English to Portuguese and I typed in those, those men over there tried to have sex with me and I don't know where I am. And I trans, and I try to translate that to them. And in my head at the moment, and this is something that I have been, this is why that I have been accused of lying about what happened because of the way that I handled things. So I did not want to call my parents in that moment. Mm -hmm. And before I went on this trip, my mom had said to me, um, always watch your drink. Don't like, you have to watch your drink and be careful. Like my mom's a huge worry wart. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. I wasn't really like, I was like, of course, like, I'm going to take care of myself. Like, I know how to do that. In that moment, I I was just like, there's no way I, I can say any of this stuff to my parents. Mm-hmm. I was already, like, feeling the shame from, like, the stranger that, like, didn't, like, didn't speak English and from the cops. I was just, like, surrounded by men. And mm-hmm. no one spoke English. And I was just like, I I cannot call my parents right now. And so at the time I called one of my best friends and they were actually at work back here in Utah. And I was crying and I had told them what was going on. And I'm still in the back of the police car at this point. And then I don't, I somehow got a hold of the people that I was in Portugal, Portugal with. One of them had gotten their bag stolen. So they were already at a police department and we were all split up. All three of us were split up. So you ended up meeting him at the police station. Yeah. So, and, and that's where it gets like fuzzy again, because I don't remember driving to the police station. I remember being there and I don't, mm. I went to like three different places too in the span of like 16 hours. Um, so when all of this went down and the police came and got me, it was about three in the morning. So I go to the police station and they're trying to find a translator, like anyone who can understand English. Finally, like he gets there, the police officer gets there and I had to use the restroom and I had been like bundled up in like a blanket. And I remember walking through the police department and looking to my left and seeing the group of guys just staring at me and they Mm. were surrounded by police officers. And the police officer took me to the bathroom and I was kind of holding myself with my hands like over my chest and like hugging myself because I was so cold from the rain and probably just anxiety. I was shivering. That's when I had realized that my bra wasn't on me Mm. because I could feel like my skin and I had wore a, I had worn a bra out that night with that dress And I just kind of stopped for a minute and started crying. 
and the police officer was like, what's wrong? Like, what's, what's happening? And I had told him like, my bra's not on me. I don't know where my bra is. He looked at me and he was like, how much did you drink tonight? I looked at him and I said, does it matter? And I went into the bathroom, kind of had like a, like a panic attack. I was, I was freaking out. Um, I didn't real. I like, I just didn't even know that I was unclothed at any point to where like my bra had been taken off. So I went to the bathroom and they, they got me to come out of the bathroom and finally, and I sat down or I, I sat down and my friend walks in that I was with and I just start, I just grabbed them and I started crying. I was very visibly upset. I was, I like couldn't calm down, but I was also just really tired. Like I could barely keep my eyes open. So I, I woke up and I was, I was like still in the police station and they, I think they put me, um, in an ambulance to the hospital, but I don't really remember. I remember staring down at like a steel floor in some sort of vehicle and being taken somewhere. Um, and it was to the hospital where I had talked or I had talked to a doctor and told them everything that I just told, told you now. Mm -hmm. And he was like, okay, so, and at this point it was probably like six in the morning. And finally the third friend, the other friend, um, had showed up to the police station. So we were, I think, and I, I could be getting this wrong, like my memory is so fuzzy uh, with the timeline and when and where these events occurred. Um, mm -hmm. So at some point we were all three together again. Okay. And it was probably six in the morning. That could be totally wrong. We were all together and they had to stay at they had to actually go back to the Airbnb and pack my stuff for me because our flight was supposed to leave in like a few hours back to um, France and then France okay. to Utah. They went to go pack my stuff up and the doctor was like, so we're going to have to like test your blood for maybe any drugs or toxicity, like anything that you could have been drugged with. So I... And if you think about it, so I had this drink at about nine or 10 at night. Mm -hmm. And at this point, it was almost like seven in the morning when I was at okay. the hospital. He said, there's going to be two officers that are going to take you to a forensics lab so that you can get a rape kit uh, test done. My, I remember just having a really hard time still like staying awake and my head was hurting and the thing is, is like, I have drank before to where I have like thrown up. That's just how my body responds to alcohol. Like when I drink too much, I throw up and I was not like feeling hungover. Mm. I felt way, way worse, just, but in a different way. And so finally, um, I, I had gotten blood tests. I had been taken to the forensics lab. We missed our flight. And mm. I went into this room where I got the kit done. They kept some of my clothes. I was just so uncomfortable because I was in this room full of people waiting in this forensics lab for something. I don't actually know what this place was for. I was in a dress where I had no bra on. I was in heels 
was just like a mess, you know? I was just uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. They asked me a bunch of questions and they tested me and took photos. And then I went back to the hospital and just waited for probably five hours to wow. get sort of kind of results. The hospital was super packed. I wasn't like in a private room. I was in a room with maybe 30 other people who were like sick or injured. I hadn't eaten. I was in there alone. I didn't have my phone. And then the detectives came. They didn't tell me anything about like what the boys had said that had happened. The boys that were at the police station? Yeah. So like the group of guys that were like not letting me leave the building. And so they just asked me like to tell my story and and then they sat me down and they said we don't we can't like confirm with you if you were raped or if you were not raped they said that i would have to take medication to make sure i wouldn't contract hiv hepatitis any sort of stds and they gave me a shot to my butt and they did it in this room full of everyone for everyone to see and I hadn't eaten and I was just so tense and scared and I had so much anxiety that I threw up like while they were like still testing me for my blood and it was just that experience right after that alone was I think equally as traumatic as the event itself right And just having so many people tell me, like, well, since you can't remember what happened, like, you have to take this medication just in case, you know? Like, I kept, like, trying to find, like, any reason to believe that, like, I wasn't, that I was maybe okay. But the memory of that, like, I couldn't, I didn't even know that I was, like, naked at one point. And that's the thing that, like, is the most like scary and is just not knowing like what happened mm-hmm. while I'm completely like unconscious and not completely remembering everything that happened. Yeah. And so I, I took one medic- thing I want to ask really quick is I remember you telling me something when you first told me the story and I, I want you to say it because I think it's a pretty big significant part of something about why the cops showed up. Yeah. So, um, the cops had later, like, the detectives have told me, well, the reason why the cops showed up in the first place was because someone that was in that building heard a woman screaming. Mm. And then I had thought back to having that memory of... couldn't remember. Yeah, someone's hand was over my mouth, and I must have been screaming at the time um, for help or something. And someone called the cops and, mm. and they said that, uh, that I had, I had dialed for the cops as well, which no. I don't know. And the weird thing is the emergency number in Portugal is at 911. I don't even know what it is. I don't really know how I was able to, to call the police. So, which is really weird. So they but someone out to call them anyway. So, yeah. Someone had heard me screaming and they called the police. The police had told me, like, the name of the guy who had taken me. They didn't tell me, or they said, you can press charges, but you're going to make, you're going to miss the flight that you just rescheduled back home. And I was so ready to leave that place. 
and just get out of there that I was like, I asked them I, I, if they could um, send me the information like to press charges. And they were like, yeah, we'll mail it to you and you have six months to press charges against these guys. And I never received that in the mail ever. Um, I did receive all my medical records, um, which are all in Portuguese. And the photo that the police took of me for those records, I'm asleep in it. I'm at the police station and I'm asleep. It's like, I have never, like, even now, after that experience, I have never been drunk to the point where, like, I just fall asleep or, like, that's just not who I am. I'm not that kind of person. So, coming home, I was in so much shock. I didn't really know how to, like, handle the situation with my friends. And and your friends stayed this entire time. Yeah. So, we all missed our flight together. I don't really remember much of the flight home, to be honest. I think I was still just in a lot of shock. I was trying to, like, I think just lighten the mood a little bit because what had just happened, like, what we had all witnessed was so chaotic and intense. I I had felt like I had done something wrong and that I had ruined our trip. That was, like, the immediate thing that I felt. And so I was trying to, yeah. So what happened? You felt, you felt guilt? I felt a lot of guilt for ruining the trip. And so I tried to just make, make the, 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 the trip home a lot more like lighthearted and not as serious. And I got a lot of, I, I honestly, like I got a lot of shit for it. it. It was used against me by people who, by these people who were my friends because and you weren't basically curled up in a ball hysterical was, the whole time. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely cried on, on the plane home. I The whole time I could think about, I was like, who do I talk to when I get home? I have no idea who I can talk to about what has just happened when I get home. We were in the airport waiting, um, going through security. And I had looked over and there was this group of guys there. And I had... I froze and and it obviously wasn't like the same group of guys but the whole time I was in the airport I was terrified I just of like seeing anybody I was I was not okay I I had come off and seemed like I was I was doing fine but I wasn't Mm -hmm. and I feel like even though I have expressed that that I did not know how to handle that situation. I had never been in that situation. You were um, in survival mode, which I think is not the thing that happens a lot of time with victims who were raped, sexually assaulted, is they get in a survival mode and they have to basically like fake their way through it, especially in that moment of being in a different country on a plane. You know, of course you're not going to be sit there curled up in a ball and hysterical. Like you had to hold it together and survive that moment. And Um, We get home and there's, I don't hear from these people that I went on this trip with for a month, uh, an entire Mm -hmm. month. And we had went from being best friends and I don't hear anything from them. I hadn't, I had told my brother and his wife about what happened and I had told one other friend about what happened. Hey guys, so quick break. So if you came to my podcast launch back in August, you saw one of the vendor booths from the lovely ladies from Clone Apparel. The founder, Alex, was actually a guest on episode 10, 
Darkness Before Dawn, which was about suicide prevention. They specialize in apparel for every booty, men and women. I can literally go from recording this podcast to the gym to picking up the kids from school and never have to worry about them moving, scrunching, and showing my booty. They are squat proof, moisture wicking, and did I mention super affordable? I'm talking nothing over $40. You can find them on Facebook or on Instagram at Clone Apparel. That's K-L-O-N Apparel. And the link to their website is in the bio. If you use my discount code, candle in a dark room, one word, you will get 20% off. So make sure you check them out because I know you'll be obsessed too. And this was the friend who I called while I was in the police car. Mm -hmm. My brother and um, his wife had brought up a point to me that um, I hadn't really thought about. And it was how did these guys who took me away, how did they get me alone? Like, who who said yes to that? Because it couldn't have been me, because I was completely out of it. I was borderline unconscious, right? Right. So I'm assuming, and I haven't really gotten, like, clarity on this yet, but I think that when, at some point, when my friends split up, when we all split up from each other, is when these men took the opportunity to take me back. Because your friends left you, basically left you behind. Yeah, pretty much. I was, I was alone at some point. And that Which is, to me, so crazy because, like, me and my friends have a pack. Like, when we go out together, and it was not even a pack. It's basically just inevitable. Like, you just know that when we are together and we're drinking, and if one of us looks like we've had too much, you don't leave that person. Yeah, and if exactly. you're is you know, if you were as like unconscious and out of it, as you're saying, you remember dropping things, things like that. And the fact that you were left alone is insane to me. Yeah. And so coming home is, was like a whole different like trial that I had to go through. And it was me being accused of so many different things. Like before we had ever gone on this trip, I was dealing with some mental health issues that were, I think, were showing a lot and that were very, like, apparent to my friends. And I had been talking to therapists about possibly having bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. And it was just some, that was a lot, that was a huge thing that was kind of going on in my life. And we, we just partied a lot. Like, we drank together a lot. And so I had a conversation with a friend. What they had brought up to me was that, I my so my toxicity report came back. Um, she said that the doctor told them that the toxicity report came back as negative. The doctor never told me that, so I wasn't aware of my own test results. But if it had been, if it was, but your friend knew your friend that was there. Yeah, but the thing is, if when you get roofied, I don't know how long it takes or how long it stays in your in your blood system. But they hadn't, they didn't test me immediately like it's not like they took my blood immediately right I know that's not who I am when I'm drinking and that was kind of upsetting for me to hear in that moment was that my toxicity report came back negative but did they take your alcohol level or anything like that no mm -mm. okay so you said toxic the tox I can't say that word toxic (laughs) what is it the toxicity report was negative but 
like you said, it had been almost 12 hours at this yeah, point exactly. when you finally were tested. And the whole reason that people use, you know, date rape drug is because it doesn't stay in your system because mm-hmm. it's a short acting, you know, drug and it doesn't stay in your system for a long time. So that's the whole, the whole point of it. And that's why it, to me, that's like, okay, what did you expect? Of course, it's not going to still be in your system 12 hours later. Exactly. And I, so I kind of just took like this, like verbal beating of I'm mentally, that I'm mentally ill. I am lying about what happened because I didn't, I didn't um, go to the pharmacy in Portugal to take the day after pill when I had come back and had bought it myself in Utah to take it. Because you had to go, because you had to get to the airport. Yeah. I was like, I am not spending another minute in this country, like in the worst two days of my life. So I did not go to the pharmacy to get the plan B pill. I got it in Utah. I was accused of lying because I didn't immediately talk to a therapist when I got home. I was Because you're processing, of course. Okay. I was accused of lying because my story didn't make sense. It didn't add up. Which, again, you were drugged. You don't remember. I was... Yeah, not only did I have alcohol in my system, I possibly could have had the date rape drug in my system, and there's no way that it would have made sense. Like, I just, I was still processing, and even to this day, it's it's been a year and a half, well, almost a year and a half, and I still have memories that come up that I'm like, oh yeah, okay, I, I remember that, and my timeline is still so messed up, and... which. Okay, so here's the thing with the date rape rape drug. So I actually was um, drugged when I went to Las Vegas not very long ago, maybe about three years ago. I was with two of my closest friends. One was actually my cousin. And we were in a Las Vegas club, and she had gotten a drink, and she, I guess, had felt already drunk. And so she's like, hey, do you want this? I was not drunk at all. And I was like, sure. And so I took it. That is when I remember sitting there on the couch and everything as you're explaining it to a T happened. Anyone who knows me, I mean, my friends can vouch for me, my family. I, I don't know if it's because I'm diabetic and it counteracts with my insulin. I do not get drunk. Like I can basically out drink any man. Like I just don't get shot drunk. And when I do get buzz, it's like, I'm out, I'm over it within 15 minutes. Like I'll get a buzz for a second. And it goes away. I remember sitting on the couch on like a couch thing in the club and literally looking at my cousin and my friend and being like, holy crap, you guys, we have to go. I had one of those drinks and I remember walking to the bathroom. They were holding each side of me. I threw up in the club, which I I never throw up. I've thrown up. I remember throwing up like maybe twice and it's when I drank way too much and then I was over it. But again, when I did that, I didn't black out. I still remember everything. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, so I remember drinking, going outside. I remember them trying to get me a cab or get us an Uber or something. I remember putting my hand on the railing and a bunch of ants crawling up my arm. Mm -hmm. So again, bits and pieces, but I, and then all of a sudden I remember my, like literally I must've like taken my clothes off when I got in the room and I was Mm -hmm. passed out on the bed and I woke up the next morning and I was like, what in the heck? And luckily my two friends were with me or else I have no idea what, what else happened. I don't remember driving from the um, club to the hotel. I don't remember any of that. And so again, what you're explaining and anyone who knows situations like this, what you're explaining is to a T of somebody who was, who was drugged. And you're not going to remember every little thing that happened during those 12 hours. And the fact that your friends are trying to make it act like you're the crazy person, because one, you're in shock. You were just traumatized. You woke up in a freaking, basically a room, who knows if it was a brothel, who knows what it was of men. Mm -hmm. 
you have no idea who these people are. You have no, your undergarments are missing. You know, you're in a different country where people don't speak any English. Like that is what I think frustrates me the most in all of this is that your friends, so-called quote unquote friends are, were so like, like so against you that I, I can't even comprehend it. They weren't even trying to understand like, oh my gosh, like I can't, you know, when they saw you, you're passed out in a police station while you're getting like talked interviewed basically and they didn't see that as a sign hey this is weird she can't even stay awake to have an yeah. interview you know what I mean and so I don't know again it's just I, I just can't even fathom how they came home and basically started spreading more rumors about you that you were basically lying that everything you said was uh, was a lie so yeah so I mean I just don't understand I just don't understand how somebody especially because they knew you and whether you were going through bipolar what you know a manic episode or whatever it was before you left the fact is is that you were again just traumatized and victimized and you are not going to come home and curl in a ball on the airplane in front of everybody make a scene because if you would have done that then they probably would use that against you too so it was basically one of those things where it's like either way you weren't going to win with these quote-unquote friends because you didn't react the way you're supposed to, which again, there is no book with, with the play by play of how you react after you're assaulted, you know? And again, the fact that you don't even remember the details of being assaulted, but the things that you do remember are your bra is missing. You remember someone's hand over your mouth. You remember, um, I remember you mentioning a while back that when you first told me the story that when you, you remember a man standing over you who was naked. Yeah. And I, I, correct. I, and I, yeah. I remember seeing like his like parts and I remember seeing his body. That's like just enough like validation for me. But that something happened. Something happened. But even when I got home before, before I had this conversation with, with this friend about how I was lying, I had already, I was already like in a mental battle with myself because I was like, did I overreact? Like, did this even happen the way I'm thinking it happened? Am I just like, you know, Am I a dream? Yeah. And, and in just those weeks that those thoughts alone were so tormenting enough tormenting and hard that by the time that this friend had told me that I was lying and that I was mentally ill, I, at that point I was like, I am done. Like I didn't even, I didn't even want to be here anymore. In that same night that I was told all of these things, I knew that if I didn't call someone to come and get me, I would have probably killed myself. I just think, like, about that night so much, like, when my dad had to come, and he had no idea what had happened. I was going to say, at this point, you still hadn't told your parents. Yeah, only a few people knew, and at this point, my dad, in the same night, had to come and get me because I was not stable. My friend who was with me until my dad got there, she had to tell him everything that happened because I was so hysterical and I just couldn't, I couldn't even say it. I mean, I've gone through therapy and I've talked about this and I understand this entire situation very clearly now so that it's easier for me to talk about. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, I just couldn't. And I think a lot about how I expected such a negative reaction from my dad and my mom. And I assumed that I was going to be like in trouble. Shamed. Shamed. The reaction that I got from them was so supportive. I was just, and I was validated the same thing. Every person I have shared this experience with has said the same thing. 
why were you alone? How did you get mm-hmm. alone? It's not about the drink. in a different country in, in a, a bar country. when you've been yeah. drinking. Like I just can't even believe it, it. It's not about how much I drank. It's not about what I was wearing. None of those things matter. If I had been with people and I was that way, I pro- this probably would have never happened to me. Mm-hmm. But I was alone, and I was told, you know, what no, what everyone fears. Everyone who goes through this fears this reaction, and I and it happened to me, and I got that reaction. Mm-hmm. Tell me about when you. So the night that your dad came and got you, mm-hmm. what what was going through your mind? Were you just feeling hopeless? Because at this point, everyone had basically turned against you. I hadn't. Your seen friends that- had told you they didn't want to see you anymore. I- I had, um, my best friend said, quote unquote, you have been really depressed lately. And I think you're still really depressed. And I think it's better if we're, if we're not friends. And I did not defend myself at all in this conversation. And that's- Because you're in shock that somebody would, first of all, even say that to you, let alone your best friend. And I, and I regret that so much. I regret not saying, not sticking up for myself because- I, I know what happened. I know that my body was harmed and I not only was sexually abused, I was physically abused. I was held down and I, I couldn't find the words to stick up for myself. And honestly, mm-hmm. to this day, I still have a hard time like defending myself with what happened because what the words and the things that this friend said to me was so traumatic and hurtful that it has stayed with me since. So after that, when I decided that I was going to, um, the next day I decided I was going to cut myself, my losses. And I decided that I was going to cut off everyone in contact with this friend. And I know I chose that decision. I chose to lose a lot of friends that I don't even know if they knew what happened, but I decided to not even put myself in the situation where I had to defend that I was telling the truth. Right. You just needed to distance yourself from that complete situation. Yeah. And I so, lost my entire social circle in one. So I had to basically start over. Yeah. So what I remember when you reached out to me, I hadn't talked mm-hmm. to you in a while. I had obviously no idea that any of this had happened. Mm-hmm. So what at that point kind of made you feel like you needed to reach out to somebody because you had nobody else or because I, because I related to you in that aspect. I'm just trying to explain through the only reason why I want to know, I want you to share this is because I think it's so important for people who don't have that support system totally. because at that moment you didn't. So kind of what was in your, what was your thought process of that? So I had realized that I have gone through this. I mean, I, so I have a lot of support now, but I right. went through this alone, completely right. alone. And when I finally talked to my family about it is when you came out with your podcast and only a few of my friends knew about what happened to me. And I was driving from Harriman to back to my apartment in Salt Lake and I was listening to your podcast and I was like, holy shit. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like this is like everything that I have like just gone through. Obviously it's a different situation, but I, I but knew it's all that, the same thing. I knew that you could understand because you went through all of those same things, but in just years. And mm-hmm. mine kind of all happened like within two months. Mm-hmm. And I and I didn't know that any of that had happened to you. I 
without even thinking, I was just like, I need to talk to someone who's gonna understand this, like, inside and out, you know? When this podcast comes out, when this episode comes out, it'll be the first time that I think, I think everyone will know the details about what happened, Mm -hmm. and it's something I think that plays a lot into, like, my defense. This whole experience, I have only felt like I've needed to just defend myself about what happened, and you don't. Yeah, and that's a huge thing that came to mind, um, was like, if I can talk about this publicly and I can put this out there, people might understand me a little bit better. I think the same goes for you. I think that after like, when someone experiences something extremely traumatic, it changes them who don't know everything that happened are going to have like their judgments and they're going to think Especially people who've never been through anything similar because it's hard to comprehend anything similar to what we've been through, what you've been through, if you have been through it. It's, no, that's only in movies. You know, those are people's thoughts. No, that's in movies. That's, you know, some crazy movie on Lifetime that they're talking, you know, people don't understand that it's, this is real life. This is some people's real life that they've been through. You know, when you reached out to me, I remember, first of all, you know, my stomach just sank. And like you said, it was pretty shortly after I came out with my podcast. And I remember just thinking in my head, like, if this is the person that I'm supposed to do this for, then this is it. Like you said, you were on the verge of being done with everything and being done with being here. And which you had every right to feel that way because you had people hurt you who were supposed to be there for you. It just makes me so frustrated and also so passionate about what I'm I'm trying to share with everybody because this is such an important issue to be supportive when your family comes out with these things. You know, people kill themselves every day because of something like this, because not only because of what you went through, but because of the support that you didn't get. After we talked at the coffee shop that day, did it feel better to kind of know that like, okay, I'm not the only one who's felt this way or kind of how did it help you to help guide you to the light at the end of all of this? Yeah, I mean, I think also, like, at this time in my life, I was going, I was supposed to be presenting, like, to really important people about consent, and I, which I didn't, I wasn't able to go to because of what had happened to me. Reaching out to you and, like, seeing the way that, like, I thought that I was going, I thought that I was going to be, like, ruined forever, and mm-hmm. I, I just thought there's no way like I can come back from something like this and hearing like the way that you can talk about it and kind of reverse your situation so that it's like making you a stronger person and to help people. I immediately, I was like, I cannot like let this take me some, like take me down a different path. Like it, it just inspired me to use it to my advantage, like, sooner rather than later, you know? Right. I I would just rather not dwell on it anymore because I've already, it, it, everything happened so fast. I, I already lost all my friends, which I have amazing friends now who totally support me. I lost all my friends. I dropped out of school because of my anxiety and Uh, my PTSD. So I couldn't, I just, I couldn't graduate. I couldn't keep doing the things that I wanted to do. And then when I, when I heard this podcast and I saw what was happening, I was like, I, like, I need to, you need to take your power back. 
I need to take my power back. Exactly. And I, um, just so everyone knows, so at my podcast launch, I actually had Keelan talk at my podcast launch, which was the first time she's ever spoken about this publicly at all. And, you know, Bikers Against Child Abuse was there. And a lot of people who advocate for these types of situations were there. My reason I wanted Keelan to do that was because I wanted you to take your power back at that moment. Be like, you know what? Yeah, this really shitty situation happened to me, but it doesn't define who you are. And I want you to know know that it's your friends completely abandoned you in this moment, lost nothing but a person who's going to literally change people's lives because of it. And that's sad for them. But I have seen you change. I have seen you go from darkness to light. And I know you're still, I know you're still figuring it out. And I know it's a journey, but, and here's the thing, you know, people are like, why did this happen to me? And, you know, unfortunately I, I, something I'll never understand why things like this happen to, to people, let alone good people. But what I do know is I believe, and I've always said this, you know, whatever your higher power is, I don't believe that God let this happen to me or let this happen to you. But I believe that now you're supposed to use what you went through for good. And now that is what your path is. Now you're supposed to use this shitty situation and turn it into something, something good. And you're going to, and this isn't, this isn't all be for something and it's not going to be for nothing. You're not going to you know, end up being like, okay, well, that was basically for nothing. Why did I go through that? There's going to be, and even if it's not necessarily for someone else, it's going to be for you. Maybe it's something you needed. Maybe you were going down a wrong path in another way. It's something that needed to wake you up. I don't know, but it doesn't make it okay. Obviously it's still a really shitty, crappy situation. But the only reason why I say that is because we can sit here all day and dwell on how could this happen to me? This sucks. Why, you know, ask all those questions. But, you know, cause I did that for a really long time and it ruined my life until I finally took that power back and be like, you know what? No, F this. Yes, yeah. it happened to me, but I am going to use it and I'm going to make it worth something. Yeah. And that's when, when I heard the podcast, that's when I realized like, that's what I need to do. And honestly, I, I agree. I don't think like God or whoever, like, I don't think I don't think in these situations, like, everything happens for a reason, you know? No. But I do think that the person I was before was very, was someone I I would never want to be now. It completely Mm -hmm. changed me, and I kind of, I feel like I'm more myself now than I ever have been, Mm -hmm. and I still experience, like, triggers. I mean, I saw them actually the other day, and it sent me, like, into a really extreme and hard like PTSD episode where I didn't know where I was and then I come out of that the next day and you know it 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 takes a while but I you learn and grow every single time and grow every time and I wouldn't want to be like anyone else with different experiences I'm I am happy and I'm lucky to be here and and especially in like these times right now, like where we're like social distancing and, you know, it's hard to be alone with those thoughts, but it, there's so much more to be like grateful for. And, you know, maybe if it came home with me and I had the opportunity to, pr- to press charges, I don't know if it would have worked in my favor, to be honest. Right. And I have gained so much more than I lost in this situation. I think you know, even though it's going to take it, 
it's going to take me a long time, I think, to trust, like, my partners and to feel 100% comfortable, like, going out again. I wouldn't change these experiences or trade them for anything because I feel like I am able to help other people and kind of understand people a little bit better with their situations um, with assault. Um, If I hadn't listened to your podcast, I wouldn't have been convinced that that was possible for me so well and I also think that it's brought you to really know authentic people and that's the thing is you lost these friends because obviously they were not meant to be in your story and you know people say people come in your life for a reason whatever their reason was they decided to walk away and now it all it does is help you open your eyes to who truly belongs in your life and that's what it's what my past has done to me and even with the new stuff that's gone on with my court and stuff like that, I have this, you know, my dad passing away. This is what has showed me who people's true colors are is when something traumatic happens to you, you you find out who your true friends are. And it's better. I'd rather know now than later before, before it's too late where they could have, you know, if they would have stayed in your life, maybe something else would happen that would have been worse. You know what I mean? Not worse in that situation, but worse with like, your self-esteem, who knows the situations they would have put you in because obviously they didn't have your back like they were supposed to. Yeah. So, which again, I mean, here's, and here's the thing. I'm not here to judge them because who knows what they were thinking in that moment. Maybe they got scared. Maybe they didn't know how to deal with this. Maybe they've seen trauma before. And so this was a trigger for them. I don't know. All I know is that the way that they reacted after with the bullying basically, and saying mean things to you about you and spreading rumors about you was uncalled for. And again, this is why for me, it was so important for you to share your story is because this is what our world needs right now is to be able to find someone who you can trust, not having our world does not need someone to come out finally after years or after a couple months of, you know, hiding a secret and worry that they're going to be shamed for it. That is not okay. And I'm so proud of you for not letting them silence you. Because that could have happened so easily. And I know that was kind of what you were on the fence on. Or, you know, we're on the fence on for so long was, should I just shut up and not say anything and drop what happened to me and basically not ever talk about it again? But what would that have done? That wouldn't have healed your heart. That wouldn't have healed anybody else. And so I just want you to know that, and I'm not just saying this because I know you and love you, but you are incredibly brave. And I can, you know, all the stuff I've been through, I still can't even imagine what you went through. I know it's going to take lots of years of healing and we've talked about this and you know, you might have to do some EMDR or whatever. So you do work through the things that you don't remember, but mm-hmm. I just want you to know that, you know, I am behind you hundred percent and you have a big group of people that are behind you and are going to actually stick with you through this because it's going to, like I told you when we met in the coffee shop last year, like it's going to be a journey. And unfortunately it's not over yet. But every single day you're growing. That even this social distancing thing, you could sit here and like, I mean, I could sit here and dwell on my past and be like, this sucks. Like all your, you know, depression comes up, all this stuff, really your anxiety starts coming up, but you're using that to share your story. And that's why I'm glad that you were, you know, even though we couldn't meet in person today. And that's why you guys, this audio might be a little bit off. We are doing this over the internet, um, over Zoom call because we are on social lockdown and not allowed to see each other in person. But I'm glad that you were determined, like, no, I am ready. And I, here's the thing I wanted to share too, is I remember I told you the day we met, I was like, when you're ready, we'll talk about this. And you know, you were just kind of like, okay. And I 
waited months. Even when you went to my podcast launch, you were okay to talk about it there, but that was it. You were not ready yet. And I remember the day I got the text message and I cried because I got the text message and I'm going to cry again because it just makes me emotional. But I got the text message of you saying like, I'm ready. And that is such a big thing because I think that's what holds people back for so long and so many years and their whole life. Like I said, people kill themselves over this. People die over this because people shame them. And I'm so grateful and so proud of you for just being like, you know what? F this, F those people. They don't know what happened to me. They weren't there. You know what happened to you and it's your story to tell. Nobody else's. Yeah. And so, um, again, I just am proud of you and I love you. And this is, isn't over, like I said, but we're going to, we're going to continue to get through it. And there is going to be, you know, I already see light at the end of all of this. Keelan's going to help me with my, my podcast stuff. And she's going to be a part of my like team to help heal people. Because I really think this is what people need is true, authentic survivors who know what it's like to be through a really crappy situation. Seriously. Thank you so much because your podcast came at the the time when I needed it the most. And I honestly don't think that I would have been able to accept like so much healing if it weren't for seeing how it, how it can all turn out. And this platform gives me and so many people in the future, the opportunity to come out and talk about what has happened and to come out, you know, on the other side as survivors, because Mm -hmm. it took me a long time to be able to say that I acknowledge what, that what has happened to me happened and Mm -hmm. I made those sacrifices so that I, so that I could live, so that I could, you know, keep going. I, I'm just super grateful for you and everything that you, you. that you've given me and the time that you've taken to sit down and like actually listen and not just listen, but you just, you understand so much that you just know how to respond to it. And that's a huge thing is not a lot of people know how to, how to respond. You could tell your best friend who's never been through something like this and they probably wouldn't know what to do. And I hope that for anyone listening, um, that you know that like this team, this for candle in the dark room can be those people for you. So thank you so much. And, um, also Keelan is going to do my one-on-one healing through trauma course, which I think is just going to really help you know, we don't need to go into details about anything that's happened to her or anything like that. What we're going to do is help her find her purpose in everything that's happened to her. We're going to help her find who she is through all of this. And I think you already are finding that, but I'm just, I just want to help you like guide you through these really crappy times with the triggering times, you know, so you can get through the times when you are triggered, when something comes up, when you see those friends and not go into a dark place. You know, I want you to be able to be like, you know what? Like I said before, this really crappy thing happened to me, but it's okay because this is who I am now. And so that is what my one-on-one course is going to do. And I'm just super grateful and excited to start that, you know, really um, personal one-on-one like conversation and relationship. And I think it's going to be really good for you. Um, And these are the kind of resources I think that people need available to them because I was too scared and uncomfortable to like, to see like um therapists for a really long time I was mm-hmm. scared to um go to the rape recovery center and talk um I was kind of forced to go see a crisis counselor at the U one time 
and mm -hmm. it's I feel like it didn't do um anything for me but this here like is something I've never been more like willing and looking forward to doing like a sort of like therapy than I am with this course and with talking to you so well and I think because the biggest thing for me is I always had a hard time with therapists and I have had some amazing therapists um, but it took a while because you have, you can't just go and tell anybody your story and get help from them. I think it's a huge, huge, important aspect in like healing to be able to connect with somebody who's actually been through what you, what you're saying, yeah. you know, people can sit there and go through the classes and go through this and that and you know, know the terminology and whatever, but until you're actually in that space, you, you don't really truly understand. And so I think that helps, you know, people like you, people like me to actually talk to somebody who's been there, done that. And you see an actual light at the end of the tunnel. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, again, Keelan, I freaking love you. And I'm so proud of you. And you guys like Keelan, like we're not going to be silenced anymore. Like this is it. We're, we're done being shut up you know, we're done being told to keep it to ourselves. We're done being shamed for everything you've been through. Now is the time to be loud and proud and yes, like, you know what I mean, make a difference in everything that yes. we've been through. So 100%. Um, I think if we all do it together, we're, we're making a difference and we're saving people and we are going to make it so pedophiles and the perpetrators who do this to us know that if they do choose to make these decisions, they are going to hear from us. This isn't, we're not going to be silent. And also, and consent. <laughs> that is something yes. I've never been more passionate about is like, I, I think that this needs to carry into so much more like than just like our personal values, but like mm -hmm. needs to be in school into our well oh absolutely I mean my goal is to go to schools and talk about this and we me and you have talked about this to go and talk about consent because I think that is a huge thing for males and females to know if this person is under the influence at all mm -hmm. they're sipping on a drink that's different but if they are under the influence where they're dropping stuff that is not where you should take advantage of that situation and talk again, talking about consent, talking about staying in groups when you're in public, these types of things are very important points to prevent sexual assault. And so again, this is something that we are going to be loud and make clear to people because again, consent is a huge, huge thing. So, well, you guys, again, this is Keelan. Um, if you guys want to contact her, or if you have a personal story that you would like to talk, contact her with, um, DM me and I will give you her information. I, again, am just, I am so proud of you and thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story. Um, you if you have a story, you have, what was that? Wish I could hug you. <laughs> no, virtual hug. Virtual we'll hug. hug. No, if we ever get out in the public again, it's going to happen eventually. If you guys, again, if you have a story, DM me because I want to be able to help you get through this type of situation. And if I can't, if I, if you don't feel connected to me, I have people in my circle like Keelan who can also reach out to you as well. Um, you guys, I love you all. Thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next time. Thank you.